Today's episode of the City Smack Podcast is brought to you by Morton. At this point, it's no secret, the new drink that's making waves in the running industry is Morton. It's the world's most carbohydrate-rich sports drink, and it's being used by most of the top marathoners in the world. So Elliot Kipchoge used it in Breaking 2, Wilson Kipsang used it in Tokyo, Galen Rupp used it in Chicago, and most recently, Jeffrey Kimmore won the New York City Marathon using Morton. Every major marathon winner since September 2016 in Berlin has been drinking Morton while on the go. Personally, I used it and tested it since May, and I think it played a major role in me running my two fastest marathons ever. So I set a big PR in Berlin and then ran my second fastest marathon eight weeks later in New York City. Not that I'm a pro runner or a sub elite at any at any level, but it did help me improve and make major jumps in my training. There's two types of drink mixes, one that serves 80 grams of carbs and another that contains 40 grams, and they're aimed at getting you that energy boost for when the going gets tough during the race. I can attest that later on in the races, once I took it, I was feeling great. Really, there was no point where I was feeling any sort of tying up. I was, you know, fueled up for the, for the remainder of the race. Our listeners can try it now. It's on sale in the EU and in the US. All you have to do is visit Morton.com. That's M-A-U-R-T-E-N.com. And our listeners can use coupon code CMP20 for 20% off their next order. It works for Ali Kipchoge. It works for Galen Rupp. It works for myself. You can see for yourself. Visit Morton.com today. There is a good chance that you follow my guest for today's show on social media, since he has you know, a pretty solid following, I would say, for a U.S. distance runner. He ran at Columbia. He ran at Texas. But before that, he was a pretty standout high school runner at Half Hollow Hills West out in Long Island. Quick shout out to a fellow New Yorker. Uh, but now he runs for the Hoka One One New Jersey, New York track club. My guest is Kyle Merber. So this episode, I figured I would change things up a little bit and pretty much just ask a handful of questions on my own at the very beginning just to kind of warm things up. From there, we went to some email questions, some Twitter questions, some Instagram questions. So there was a lot of great questions that were sent in by the listeners. So thanks a lot to everyone who uh, participated. We could probably do another one of these with another interesting guest. Feel free to let me know if there's anyone who interests you. Uh, and I'll try my best to get them. But for now, let's start the show. I'm joined by Kyle Merber. We could have done this podcast in person, but we're both too lazy to go into the city or to head out to Westchester. It not uh, I mean not that far. I can see the city. <laughs> I'm, I can look out my window and see the city, so it's not too far. No, but it was just like for me, it's probably thirty minutes to get to Grand Central, and then from there another thirty minutes to get to Westchester. And episode people have been requesting for a while. Uh, you've been on a podcast with me before when I used to do the show with Alex and Mitch, but I went out to Europe by myself and we did that one, I guess, when we were just sitting at a restaurant in Leuven. I don't know if you remember that. Do you remember? Uh, vaguely, my mind it was, is going. <laughs> it was me and Riley just eating lunch in Leuven and we were like recording as like they were taking our order and stuff. It was probably thrilling stuff, but uh, I'm glad. Yeah, to have you. it was one of my favorites. Yeah, I remember it vividly. So where are we at right now? Indoors, I guess, is going to start up pretty soon. 
you have been running indoors pretty consistently since you turned professional. Uh, is that something that's yeah. on your radar? Um, I've been running indoors, I'd say, as long as I'm healthy. That's always kind of been the thing. I feel like for the most part indoors, it's kind of like you have everything to gain. If you run well, if you run fast, that's all good news. And if it doesn't go well or if you're a little beat up or injured and you skip it, no one really blinks an eye. So, uh, But being from New York, I like indoor. Definitely. And I guess uh – have you been surprised a little bit at how healthy you've been holding up, I guess, as a professional under gags? Because you did miss some time, uh, I guess, before in like, what, when you were in college in the last couple of years? Yeah. I mean, I would say my expectation is obviously always to be healthy, but naturally there's going to be some ups and downs for anyone at um, the professional level. And, you know, I, I did get injured at the end of college. Uh, I stepped on a piece of glass and I lost um, a year to that. And because of that, I would say I sort of entered like a little bit of an injury spiral. Um, but I think for the most part, I've learned the different things that I have to do to make sure I'm healthy. And the number one thing that I have to do before I go for a run is I have to do a couple exercises and drills with an ankle weight. Um, and if I get a couple parts of my legs firing before a run, I'll be fine. And if I don't do that, I have a terrible run. So when I was talking to Scott Smith on the podcast, or it might've been Aaron Braun, he mentioned some little things like that, that people do before runs. Everyone's got their own different thing. And that's something that they've adapted over the years. And so you bringing that up, is that something fairly recent that, that you've added or since? Uh, um, the yeah. So, you know, I could warm up, I could do all the rope stretching and drills and everything. But if I don't roll over on my side with an ankle weight and get my adductor firing, it does not matter. It's going to be a, a terrible run. And so I would say that there, there've been period of times the last few years where I'll get lazy on it. I'll be like, ah, no, you know, I'll do it tonight or I'll do it tomorrow. And I think I've finally matured enough where I just realized that it takes about a minute to do and I just need to do it before every single run. And if I do that, then I'm fine. Now that you've got a couple of years under your belt as a pro and you know the circuit a little bit better and you've been doing this, I mean, do you consider yourself a little bit of a veteran or like, where are you right now in, in your stage of your career? Um, yeah, I think anyone who is like on their, I guess, third Olympic cycle is naturally uh, going to become some sort of veteran. There's still guys out there who've been doing it a lot longer than myself, but I've at least, you know, I've, I've done a full Olympic cycle, you know, with the intent, uh, in 2012, it was kind of like, you know, you show up, you make the trials. That's great. But you know, 2016, um, obviously the entire time I was training with a goal in mind and now looking ahead 2020, um, I think the, the saying is like, if there's not a saying, but it should be a saying, but like, if you're on a second contract, that makes you a veteran and I'm not on a second contract. I've been really fortunate to have a pretty good, um, relationship with Hoka for a while and f for hopefully a long time to come. But a lot of people my age at 27 would be second contract. That saying would look great on a t-shirt. I think it just rolled off the tongue. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a short. We can we can clean it up. 
Uh, I'll work on it. It'll, we'll make it rhyme. So we've got the way I wanted to format, I guess most of the show was going to be with a bunch of listener questions because uh, you as being one of the more popular athletes on social media in, within track and field uh, got a bunch of questions sent in. So wow. that I'm humbled. <laughs> I'm honored. <laughs> so they pretty much they did the work for me and having to come up with questions. We'd also got, I think it was five of them emailed in and the five that were emailed in were actually really good. So, um, cool. we'll start with Mike and I wish this was like, I knew where they were from cause they, I'd be able to do a little bit of a Francesca impression. It's like, just Mike, make it up. Just say where Mike, Mike is, might be from. Mike in Syosset wants to know who has the best kick in middle distance running right now, in your opinion. The, the best kick in middle distance running right now. Um, I mean, a very biased pers- thing to say would be, I think Johnny Gregorik's got the best last 80 in track and field. That's something that we'll joke around a lot. And obviously because of um, the way he raced this summer, I think that kind of solidified yeah. it. A little recency bias in that one too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's also his birthday. He's also uh, <laughs> one of my best friends. And so, but uh, I think Johnny's one of those guys, if you don't want to be on the home stretch with him, if you got to drop him most likely before the final 80. Otherwise, he uh, he finds another gear and the blades come out. So let's break it down a little bit. Let's have some fun with this question. Best 400, best 200, most dangerous of 100, and then most dangerous – I guess 80 is Johnny. Yeah. Well, I, you know, we're, we're also going to – I think you got to look at everything relatively as well. You know, it's yeah. like who has the best kick? It's like, oh, well, Centro wins a lot. <laughs> but does that mean he has the best kick? kick i mean relative i think with him guys. positioning i think he just always manages to get himself in the right position yeah so i but i think it's got to be kind of relative to your own ability um blankenship is a guy who has proven that he can roll really well from far out um I've, we've also seen him maybe try from too far out before but uh you know he likes to wind it up um i think Robbie with like 150, you know, you got to drop Robbie before 150. Um, and I mean, you've got a lot of guys in the 1500 right now who are late kickers. And I think that's something that as I've more at a higher level, I've learned that it's really about who can kick last. I was having a conversation with Jordan McNamara about this exact thing last week. And he was saying that, my best races are when I wait and my worst races are sometimes I go a little too early and he was, you know, <laughs> all right. So that was, that was a good one to start off. Uh, Jojo in, all right, let's see, in Pewaukee, Wisconsin wants to know uh, what's one workout where you could, that you completed with no one else around you that you were like, damn, I wish people could have seen that or there was video of it. Um, okay. And this is no one else around. Yeah. And this is a good question because I guess you did have that tweet a couple days ago where you were like, can I add my workout today to the IWF page? Yeah. But the thing about this question is it's tricky because it's not the best workout I've ever done. It's kind of the best workout when like no one was around. Yeah. Right. Well, the one, yeah. And so, um, I had, 
one friend around for a workout, but like he wasn't running with me. He wasn't timing. He just happened to be like walking around the track casually. And I don't think he cared, <laughs> but I, I was in Portugal um, last winter for five days, just kind of hanging out leading up to the Edinburgh cross country race. And I just, I did a nine by one K session by myself and it wasn't anything crazy. Like it's not going to blow anyone away. I think I averaged like, Two fifty one or something like two fifty, I think was it. But the whole the reason I was so happy is because I had to like take a cab to this track, sneak my way onto the track. Um, had no, got lost on the warm up, then ended up doing nine by K. I think it was nine by K with two hundred jog, and I just completed it successfully. So it was nothing. <laughs> it wasn't like anything wild. I did a few two hundreds after. But just the fact that in a foreign country, I could seek out a track and just have a normal solid workout by myself was a huge victory. Do you feel like you have workouts? And this is a question of my own, that if you accidentally like slipped the details of it, the times to someone like Robbie or uh, Centro, they, they would be like, Ooh, wow, that was, that was good. Or are there somewhere like, you're like, maybe that wouldn't impress anyone. But for me, that was great. I would say I, I probably, I like to share my workouts. I do it every now and then. Um, but the thing is like when you're telling guys who have run just as fast or faster, I don't really think that anything's too surprising. Right. Um, we did one workout and I, I've, I think shared this before, but we did one workout before the Olympic trials and it was like me, Johnny and Colby. And we basically, the workout started more or less with a time trial and we opened up with a 1200 and 250. And then we did like two or three other reps. And that's the one workout where people are like, Oh my God, you guys are in a 250 in practice. <laughs> but the thing is it was like a time trial. So it's not, you know, so we did more things, but we also had a lot of rest. And, But I don't think anything would really impress other people too much. And I think especially that's part of GAG's training is that, like, in general, our workouts are not A-plus workouts. We just get a lot of passing grades. And if you add up a lot of passing grades because we work out just about every other day, then at the end of it, you're pretty fit and you're ready for rounds, hopefully. So. We'll get to more questions about your sprinting skills because some people want to know that and sent in some questions about that. Uh, Reggie in West Islip wants to know most intense gag story from practice. Without uh, naming most... names, like maybe someone he got angry at. I don't know. Yeah. Um, we had one athlete a few years ago who was struggling and had been struggling for a while. And it was questionable what exactly was happening. Everyone had their own interpretation. And at the start of the rep, it was a hard first rep. And at like 200 meters into this rep, the athlete was out the back and gags went berserk. <laughs> and everyone else basically just stopped to watch as gags lost <laughs> his cool. <laughs> and the athlete, just stopped in the middle of the rep, walked away. And like 30 minutes later, when Gags had calmed down, he was just like, 
maybe I went a little too hard back there. <laughs> but we hear these types of stories all the time. If this wasn't a public podcast, I would probably go into a little bit more detail on that story. But we hear these stories about gags from back in the day, and they're wild. And he's really turned into a little teddy bear now, though, or a big teddy bear, depending on your size. And so he has these moments of intensity, but he really can go crazy and then calm down really fast. Whereas I think back in the day, he probably really let the fire build. That's, uh, yeah, gags, I'm sure. Yeah, with age, um, he's definitely calmed down. I could see that. Um, but I'm sure yeah, that, like, I, Simmons has some stories, I'm sure, and Will Lear, those guys from back in the day. Yeah, I mean, we all have our stories. Um, I remember when I first joined the team, one of the early practices, Gags yelled at me, like went <laughs> nuts about something. And I just, I pulled him aside after practice. It was just like, hey, um, I've never really had coaches who yell at me. <laughs> I was like, my high school coaches didn't yell at me. My college coaches didn't yell at me. And I was just like, I don't think I'm going to really respond to the yelling thing. It's like, it's not <laughs> like, I just, if my mom yells at me to clean my room, I just like refuse to clean my room like as protest. And I was like, I just don't think that's the type of athlete I am. And I think he, he made fun of me for the next week. He, whenever he, he was like, Oh, I like, he would put his hands up like nice and gentle. He's like, I don't want to yell at you. Am I speaking too loud? But today's workout, uh, but eventually, um, the yelling just, uh, he and I just, we, we're not yellers or I, at least that's not our relationship. Whereas Ford, Ford needs to get yelled at. Yeah. he's a I football player like your foot gags needs to run over like grabs grab ford's helmet and like shake him a little sometimes but that's not uh that's not me even going this far on just gags is i guess temperament if you want to call it that you think you'll get in trouble with him has he discovered podcasts oh he would have no idea how to find a podcast yeah <laughs> all right so i think we're, in the we're relatively safe Ian in Montauk wants to know, what's the worst track you've ever run on? The worst? Oh, man. Every public track in New York City. <laughs> East River. <laughs> yeah, the East River track is comical, <laughs> as is uh, Riverbank. So um, I guess, like, what about international? Like, is there one where you were just, like, looking for a track or anything to work on and uh, work out on, and you just found something, and it was like, this is going to ruin my legs? <laughs> yeah. Um, the track that I'll run on when I'm in Ireland, uh, is just one of the softest tracks imaginable. And it's like, it's fine. I mean, it's relatively windy everywhere in Ireland and the weather's not, never great, but this one track is, it's just a ball of mush and you go out there and your legs just feel like jello. So I would say I, I more or less just don't work out when I'm in Ireland now, I'll just, I'll just run a lot of miles and wait till I come home, unless it's for a meet. Max in the South Bronx asks, what's the best race that you've witnessed in person? And then what's the best race that you were a part of? Best race I witnessed in person. Um, I was there when Usain Bolt broke the world record in the 100 for the first time. That's going to be special. So that was at um, Icon Stadium in 2007. And I was racing there in high school. So I got to see that. So. That kind of, that's the top. Uh, that's a hard one to beat for sure. Yeah. What was it, the best race I've been in? Yeah, I've been a part of. I guess maybe if you didn't win, but someone set a record that you thought was crazy or. Um, 
I would say, because I don't want to compliment any race that I was in and lost. Instead, though, um, I rabbited Milrose a couple of years ago when Centuritz and Willis both um, ran insanely fast. I think, was it 350 high or 351 low? I think it was 350. It was a Milrose record. And um, I had, Centro had called me the week before and said that I couldn't possibly get out fast enough. That was the instruction. And he was like, Brian Gagnon rabbited a couple of years before. He went out in 53 and Centro said he loved it. And I was like, all right, like, I guess I'll just go out hard. And I go out and 150 meters in, I look behind me and he's nowhere near me. <laughs> and, so, and it wasn't even that hard. I was going to run like a 28. And so um, I, that race, I, it required me to, or that rabbiting job, a lot of like cat and mouse and kind of roping people in to come with me. And I still brought them through 1200 and I think like 254 high. And, but by the time I was stepping off the track, like the kick had started and those guys just took off. So um, that was a fun race to be a part of and feel like I had my hand in. Jenna, and I'll, I guess I'll make up where she's from. Jenna in Astoria wants to know, would you rather have won? All these New York, do you only know places in New York? I, I'm only listening to Francesca for the next, uh, for last, <laughs> before he's gone. So uh, all these New York places are in my head right now. Um, would you rather right. one individual NCA 1500-meter title, title or NCA cross-country team title? Individual or team? Um, I would say <laughs> team. I would take, and I would take the NCAA team title for this is cross country. Yeah. And the reason being is two things. Um, the first being that winning it with the team is always going to be so much more fun. Absolutely. But, Winning HEPs at Columbia is like amongst my most favorite memories. And um, it was a conference title, let alone if we had won an NCAA title. And so I think that you would really look back on those memories like long-term and really, really cherish them. Even if individually the individual performance is more impressive, I think looking down the line, the NCAA individual title probably doesn't mean as much once you leave college like right. it's it's maybe a stamp of it, it's people are gonna obviously always mention that you're an NCAA individual champion and whatnot and it's super impressive and it's super indicative of how much potential an athlete has but I think once then you become a pro you really Maybe it's just because of the way my college career went, but I feel like when my pro career started and got rolling a little bit, I the NCAA career is more just a memory. And it's the more it's like what have I done recently? Yeah. And it, you, it requires a lot of you would come out with a lot of pressure, probably a nice contract, but definitely. also a lot of pressure to perform immediately after college and some people you know really really obviously like that um as should all athletes but i think if you don't immediately succeed coming out of college then it it can hurt your longevity yeah plus imagine what what would have a team title have done for the columbia program or the texas program if you guys would have won 
Yeah, I mean, the team, I mean, Columbia would obviously, I mean, you would get so many donations, we would immediately have one of the biggest endowments in the world. <laughs> you, also, you also probably would have gotten a ticker tape parade down for that. <laughs> yeah, everyone cared. And then at Texas, I mean, the thing, Texas, as you know, for them to finally have some success as an athletic department, it would be incredible. Uh, so, uh, no, I mean, obviously it's, uh, it's, I would say it's more about the individuals that you would line up with than the actual universities. Yeah. All right. Now we're going to take it to some, some Twitter questions. Cause those were email ones and those were all pretty good. Well, Can't believe people email you. You know, right. Well, people still call into radio shows too. Yeah. Uh, at why and talking, he's tweeted questions before for the podcast. Says if you could go back and rerun rerun one race in your career, knowing you couldn't change your final time or place, what race would you pick and why? Okay, so this is kind of interesting. So you're not changing anything about the race; you're basically just reliving it in your head. I guess, but I guess the question I would have wanted to know is. Which one, like, what race would you go rerun and change the result or, like, do something differently to change the result? Yeah. Um, all right. So going off their question where I think you're basically just putting your brain today in your body then. Um, just get the thrill all over again. Yeah, you get the thrill all over again. All right. So then I, I think of two extremes where it's, um, like, I would want to relive Swarthmore and running – the collegiate or American collegiate record because it was just like the best feeling imaginable and just such a shock. And so that would be really exhilarating, but then the same at the same or the opposite end, it's like, I would love to go a month into the future then and rerun NCAAs failing to make it out of the first round. And then just kind of having the perspective of the long-term perspective then and knowing that everything would in the end work out and be okay. Yeah. Um, and so obviously I don't want to relive that because it's not fun, but I wish that I could be there to tell my 20-year-old self or what was I, 21-year-old self that, you know, bigger things to come. When did you finally like bury what happened at NCAAs and – just like put it behind you and you're like, all right, I guess like it's time to move on. And like, how much did it weigh on you? Um, I mean, I think, you know, my fifth year then at Texas went so poorly due to injuries and such that I wasn't able to immediately move on. But I think once I, I think a few years later, or a couple of years later when I was in Ireland for Cork city sports. And I finally like just PR'd in the mile again, I just kind of started to let go and just see the future rather than kind of dwelling on the past. Wow. It's really that long. I mean, I, it's not like I stayed up every night just thinking about <laughs> it, but I think sometimes the only way to get over a bad race is to have a good race. And, you know, between, those two years there really weren't too many good races so it kind of took until like you got your momentum back and i pr'd twice in five days and um that at that point i felt like i had momentum back and i could just look to the future and i didn't have anything hanging over me as much anymore aiden reed wants to know 
any plans to move up in distance at some point in your career? And I guess there have been, I guess, like little hints here and there, the 5K. Yeah. So I, um, obviously I have excuses. Let's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am by no means satisfied with my, my, my 5K last year at Stanford. I ran 1355 with what my last mile, I would imagine, is was quite slow. Um, probably more like a tempo final mile. Um, but I would say no matter what race I ran that day, if it was an 800 or 1500, it was going to be a bad race. It's not like I'm bad at the 5k. It was just, that was not a good time in training for me. It was not a good day. I would have been bad at anything. And so I try not to like harp on that a little too much. Um, I, and then on the 3k and I think that, I've run 749 um, last winter and we closed really hard and I was in the middle of like a huge, huge block of training. And so while I think it's like a fine result, I still think there's a lot of potential there. Long story short is like eventually, yeah, I'll move up. But I do think that there's a lot left to be gained in the 1500 a mile. And when you finish a 5k, you feel terrible. Like I had to take <laughs> a couple of days off. Um, immediately after, whereas when you run an 800 in preparation for 1500, you feel amazing. Like, you know, you walk away and the next workout you do, you feel like you've got this whole new level of speed and you feel really good and it really boosts your training. And so I would say I'm not running a 5k probably again until after 2020, because everything is going to be focused on the 15. Um, so if, if, if like a 5k, if it's not going to help me get better at the 1500, then I don't really see the point in doing one, even if training like a 5k guy at times. Cause I was going to ask if it were, if you were going to run one this year or focus on it a little bit, given that it is an off year, like how would indoors have like worked into that? Yeah. Um, theoretically, uh, probably nothing too much different. Maybe I'd take a three K more seriously, mm -hmm. but, um, for the, I mean, I don't, I think I definitely have unfinished business at the distance and I'm hoping to have a really long career. So hopefully we have plenty of time. How do you approach an off year? You personally, like, what do you want to accomplish? In it? Um, I would say time obviously becomes a huge focus. It's just, let's PR as much as possible the time of the year of which you PR becomes less important. You know, if you theoretically PR in April, it's not the worst thing in the world, you know, just cause there's no team to qualify for. Um, with that said, I think what I would like is to just finish way better at the U S championships. Um, I was not happy with my final 30 meters of my prelim last year. And, um, that would be one thing I think in an off year to go in and just like get some momentum again at the championships would be good. Uh, so yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think an issue that a lot of runners have in general is they just pretend that the only thing that matters is the Olympics. And I hate that right. narrative because I think it just like from the perspective of the sport succeeding, you can't have one race every four years matter. It's just never going to, 
the sport's going to die if that's all that matters. So I think even if there is no global championship that we're all eyeing, the U.S. championships are still the U.S. championships. And then every race where it's an opportunity to run fast immediately becomes important. Just for the site's branding sake, I guess, uh, would we see you in a pair of jeans running four laps on the track at some point this year? Is this on a half year? <laughs> if you think, if you can get the permission from gags, <laughs> that's the hard part. Uh, but also my jeans are way too tight for that sort of thing. <laughs> Have you been impressed though? Like by some of these times? Not necessarily. No offense. Really? <laughs> no offense. I mean, it's still like they're fine times, but I don't think, I don't think jeans make that much of a difference. Like if you're wearing a baggy pair of jeans. Yeah. It's just like added you watching this, you're now the expert in the field. How many seconds do you think jeans affect? Uh, we found that it's between 14 to 16 seconds. So like, okay. So the world record's 411. Yeah. But Dylan Maggard is like a 401 guy. Okay. So, he's so that's not 16 bad. seconds. You cut it down to like 10. Like Rory, when he ran it, was 416, and he's a 402 guy. And same thing happened with like Spencer Brown. It was like 14 seconds. But do you think, do you think, um, at the end of cross country, he's in 401 shape if that's his spring no. PR? No, I and don't he, think so. I, I also don't think that, I think he's probably in better than 401 shape given how well cross country went for him. <laughs> at the end of the cross country season, soloing yeah. a mile, you think he's running faster than 401? Maybe he never tapped into his full potential when he ran that 401. I don't know. And then you think Rory, who ran 402 in peak spring shape, right? Or no, this is peak. This is like summer, like cross country buildup. So yeah, he would have been. In no, no, but he ran, he ran 402. That's his PR though. But he did it oh, yeah, yeah. when he was it, training, whereas Rory seemed to do it when he like just started running, probably for the summer. Yeah, I guess so. So that's why I'm calling bull on this 15 second conversion. And I'm probably going to say it's like five. Okay. So you do. Th so in that case, then sub four is going to be possible at some point. And we're going to have to pay someone a lot of money. I mean, I could definitely do it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I just don't, I'm choosing not to. Cause I think it's, I think you guys need to focus less on gene miles than more on regular miles. All right. Hot take. Well you know what i want to go out to the track and i want to break four minutes in the mile wearing blue jeans and not even tweet about it not even tell anyone <laughs> just because i don't care all right it's not it's not even it's nothing to me it means nothing i think it might be faster to run a mile in jeans this is the year of the prs yeah you don't have a pr there so there's an easy one for you to get <laughs> yeah Pat Price wants to know, are you considering dual Irish citizenship? Mm, no. Um, <laughs> all right. For the uninformed listener, uninformed, um, for, for the ignorant, um, my, uh, my wife's from Ireland and, uh, we go to Ireland a lot, obviously because of that, but no, I'm an American. I've already repped the U S and plan on doing it many more times in the future. But, um, Martin Barry Merber in uh, 30 years will probably be running for Ireland. He's, he's going to have some killer wheels for a 5K guy. Have you gotten used to saying my wife yet? 
Yeah. Um, but then my sister-in-law is visiting us right now and I have a hard time remembering sister-in-law and brother-in-law <laughs> or mother-in-law, but I got wife down. What was the final number of sub four minute milers at your wedding? I don't remember if it was 15 or 16. Um, <laughs> but what, you know what, actually, whatever I ended up tweeting, um, it ended up being one less because, um, Jerry Deegan was there and I asked him in the bathroom at about 2 AM. I was like, Jerry, you broke four, right? And I think he ended up saying, he was like, no, I ran four flat, but he was a <laughs> great marathoner. He was a, uh, NCAA champ at Providence in the 5k when he came over for one year. And I thought he had broken four, but he was actually a four flat guy and just a great marathoner. So what was that congregation like of just all these runners? I mean, you had people who weren't runners and just family and friends, but uh, yeah. how, did, how did you get the runners to stop talking about running while you were there? Oh, I don't think the runners want to talk about running at all, especially in October <laughs> during the off season. Um, I mean, anyone who has run college cross-country track knows that when you finally let cross-country and track athletes run loose <laughs> a little bit and give them a, a sniff of beer that they really go wild and there's a lot of stamina out on the dance floor and the band was impressed they like were playing a warm-up they played like a scale uh, and everyone was out on the dance floor they're like we're not ready yet um <laughs> And then the fun thing about Irish weddings as well is that they go well into the night. They're not like these American weddings where you shut down and then you go to the after party. This was like, they go until 6 a.m. And so uh, it was really fun. It was a good time. Pro Irish weddings. Did you expect to go viral with the Daily Mail because of, uh, or did, was that just something, how did that happen? How did that get out? I so yeah, so my wife and I did a translation guide for like Irish to American. Um, so that way we, we put out all the tables. So, you know, where it's like, oh, make some friends. Like, and it was just kind of corny things. Like um, instead of saying like, it would be a little saying. So it's like, what would you say to another pint lad? It would be like, yo, bro, what's up? Want another brewski? <laughs> so uh, just stupid things like that. And I posted on the Ireland subreddit knowing that they would probably get a kick out of it. And I knew that it had a little bit of viral potential. <laughs> so I wasn't completely shocked, but her family loved it. Like it was in every Irish newspaper. Rory Tunningly is sneaking in here and he says, ask Kyle about asking me before NCAA cross country nationals, if I would wear a white headband. So he would, he wouldn't be a Texas athlete. Is this true? I mean, it is true. Uh, Rory's worn a headband for a very, very long time, as did I. But I wanted, to, I wanted to stand out a little, you know. And then you're on the line wearing the same uniform as someone else who's wearing the same thing. And the same thi the issue happens now with Colby because we're both <laughs> in a hokey uniform, and then we're both wearing headbands. But uh, he'll mix it up. He'll start wearing black headbands a lot. And I think we had a photo finish at Falmouth a couple of years ago, Colby and I, that. Um, I ended up being given the win, but Colby swears he won. <laughs> um, and we were both wearing a headband and obviously the same uniform and Colby thinks there was some confusion there. So I think, uh, we're done wearing the same color. I'm all about that conspiracy theory. And so like, yeah. 
Jay Garinger has a similar question on that note. When did you start wearing a headband? Or why did you start wearing a headband every race? And why is the Hoka logo always on the pack? Um, so really people pick up on these things. <laughs> yeah, geez. Um I've got one really committed fan. Um <laughs> So I w ran the Boston Indoor Games in high school, and they were giving us a ton of gear, um, just like they would completely load you up. And I wanted more stuff because I'm greedy. So I was like, hey, uh, if you give me a headband, I'll wear it during the race. And then I uh, PR'd in the race, and so I wore it again like a couple weeks later at the Millrose Games, and that went well. So then the headband became a reoccurring theme. Uh, in terms of the Hoka symbol being in the back, um, I don't know. No <laughs> reason. I don't like it straight on in the front. Um, I, I, I have no no reason. But now it's just a thing. Colby does <laughs> the front a lot, so that's maybe a good reason why. Just change it up a tiny bit. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's see if we go. Uh, Rubis, and this one's a little bit more of a serious question. What's your most memorable memory of David Torrance? And I remember seeing on Twitter that, or so this is, I added this part. It's like, I remember seeing on Twitter that you were exchanging text messages with him maybe like a day or two uh, before he passed away. So, uh, well, well, first of all, great job, I guess, organizing the Long Island Mile uh, for people who didn't, who weren't there. Kyle renamed the men's elite race uh, after David and it was a really, it was a rainy, rainy day this, this year for the race, but people still turned out. Uh, I got chills, I guess, when they introduced him and there was a moment of silence. The family was there. Uh, the race was great in between Nick, uh, Nick Willis and, uh, Chris O'Hare and Chris O'Hare won and threw his arms up and there was a great photo at the end. Uh, so, I mean, that was one heck of a job that you did for, uh, that race this year, but, uh, I guess going yeah. back to Rubis's question, I guess, what was your most memorable memory? Um, I think one that I shared a lot, especially around this year's Long Island Mile, was after that first year, just seeing David after he won in 353, just doing like plyos and drills and push-ups and just like still training that night, like the lights were being shut off and David was still going. And so I just think that's like a testament to David and the type of athlete that he was. And going back to what we were saying earlier about the best workout that you ever did with no one around, uh, whenever now I'm like doing a workout by myself, I think of David because he was the king of being able to do a workout solo. He was the ultimate like workhorse, really could grind and did everything perfectly all the time. Just every opportunity that they had to get better, he took. But he could be by himself in California, just like no one else around middle of the day and just crushing the workout. And so I try and channel that a lot. Um, and it was funny because last year um, we went out to Hoka's headquarters and we had meetings all day. It was during the Hoka sales meeting and we had meetings and presentations that we were sitting in on and Q and A's and different things, like a lot of fun. And then that night, I still get a workout in and I went out by myself to do a workout and I was struggling and David was on the infield just finishing up his easy run. And he just kept running back and forth on the track cheering for me on every end. And uh, Magda Boulay was out there as well. And they would, 
they were basically like taking turns running hundred meters with me at the end of my workout as I was just rigging home. And like the, just as I'm trying to like struggle by myself, I have the guy who's the best at working out by himself in the world cheering me on. And I just felt like such a coward, but uh, it's definitely something that I look back on pretty fondly now. Yeah. So when does the planning, I guess, and work for you really start or like for next year's Hong Kong Mile? Yeah. Um, I mean, we basically lock in the venue date and everything just really, really soon. Um, and then every year it gets a little bit easier. This is going to be our fourth year doing the event. And now we kind of know the drill. And the hardest part is not even like convincing athletes to come anymore. It's, you know, turning people away and i hate it like as an elite athlete myself when someone um emails me or begs me for an opportunity like there's nothing more in the world that i want than to provide them with it but at the same time at that point in the year you want to have the best 12 guys on the line possible and the ones who are ready to go and so um it's tough when it's dealing with friends like that's the hardest part but in terms of like preparation and stuff for it now it, it it's really starting to run itself in many, many ways. And my co-meet director, Brendan Barrett of Sable Running Company, does an incredible job that week leading in of allowing me to kind of rest a little bit. But I never sleep. <laughs> so <laughs> when you first came up with the idea for it, I'm sure you had an image in your head of what this would look like. And then you had yeah. the first year and maybe it met expectations or exceeded expectations. Now that you've had three editions of it, what is the ultimate vision? Do you want to keep a lot of the same or is there something yeah. you want this thing to get? I think that's something that we've kind of talked about before is like, where do we see this going? And I honestly, not that it's the perfect track meet or anything, but I think it's perfect for what we want. Um, I think if it got any bigger in terms of, like if we added more races or what if we, you know, instead of just having a mile, we also had an 800 or we also had a 5k or something. I think um, it would then just become a little bit too difficult for us to manage on the budget that we create for ourselves. And also like Brendan is still running his own business and I'm still, um, you know, full-time athlete, especially competing in the race. And I'm making multiple runs to the airport the days leading in to pick up athletes myself so um, I'm pretty happy with where it's at. I would love to just keep doing it because I think we got a nice little thing going. Well, you can you have your own followers. We've got the Sitwits and all the people who listen to the show. So let's mobilize them. What celebrity do you want us to go after and just like just get their attention and tell them they have to do this next year? I think the most realistic person is Casey Neistat. Yeah, is um, he in New York? Him all the time here in. Uh, Running down uh, the West Side, uh, West Side Highway. And, do you, like, do you see him? Yeah, I do. I think he's the most realistic person. Um, for those who don't follow, he's just a famous YouTuber. And he's a huge runner himself. And I think it would be – I think the dream would be for him to come out and do a, like a, just a vlog or just include it somehow. And I think it – I mean, if millions of people saw that, it would be pretty sweet. But him coming out and running a mile, like that, it's so realistic. Yeah, so we got, we'll come up with a hashtag and then we'll just flood him with it. And uh, I think the, that's what we have to do. I think so. Just keep, 
tweeting at him. We'll we'll do some sort of campaign as we get closer. Um, but you know, I don't know if he's really into the elite side of running. Really? As much. You know, I think he really is he loves running and he loves distance and such, but I don't think he's like a Gladwell type where he's following the elite side of the sport and that's why he becomes so important is because if he can if we can get him into it you know that's like the goal is how do we convert your average runner into a fan of the sport how can we yeah. there's a disconnect right now and if we gave him a good enough goal like break five which i don't know i don't know if he ever has i don't i don't think so off the top of my head but he does like corner strava he just rips it in practice all the time and just aimlessly i think kind of runs yeah uh if we got him to like hey we could hype up like your first sub five mile attempt. Then I'm sure like you come out for that. <laughs> That's what I think. And then, you know, you have him at the pre-race dinner, get him at the elites and stuff and kind of just see the side of the sport that maybe he's a little unfamiliar with. Yeah. Maybe one of the elites that you turn away, you offer them a spot to like pace this guy. I want to take a quick second now to talk about Morton. So we've discussed how pros have been using the drink mix to find success on the roads. Let's discuss some of those performances real quick. The first real sign of success was when Kenanisa Bekele was taking the drink every 5K at the 2016 Berlin Marathon. He ended up clocking a 2.03.03, which is insane. And then after that, Wilson Kipsang was also using the drink at the Tokyo Marathon, where he ran 2.03 as well. So it started generating quite a bit of buzz within the elite side of the running community. And the performance that really caught everyone's attention with Morton was when Elliot Kipchoge had that historic run in Monza back in May. Attempting to break two hours for the marathon, he ran two hours and 25 seconds. And during that run, he drank 0.9 liters of Morton during the race. In his training, he was using the 320 drink mix, which you can try for yourself now by visiting morton.com slash shop. That's M-A-U-R-T-E-N dot com slash shop. I saw a tweet from a friend uh, pretty recently, Evan Schwartz, friend of the program, who said he used it this past weekend when he ran 218 at the CIM Marathon, the U.S. Marathon Championships. So it's been working for a lot of people, including myself in Berlin and in New York. And I think you can try it today. Use promo code CMP20 for 20% off your order. That's very easy to remember. Sidious Mag Podcast. So CMP20 at Morton.com. <laughs> All right. And now but I also only drink seltzer. So <laughs> we're about to get to that because rapid get fire. To the you... Get to the seltzer questions already, Chris. That's why I'm here. This the... Yeah, this is, we got at least 30 questions on Instagram. About, about five of them were about seltzer. But first, Mitch Merber asks, why don't you call your, mom, your mother more often? My mom does this thing where she calls me, but she doesn't leave a voicemail. And she also calls me in the mornings all the time and when I'm just clearly running around practice. But she'll call me and she won't leave a voicemail. And then she'll get mad that I didn't call her back. But it's like, I just, you didn't, I didn't know what it was about. I just seemed like it was like, you just wanted to talk or, which maybe <laughs> that's it. Maybe that's a good enough reason to call. But if I just if you just have a missed call from someone, do you automatically always call them back? I think if it's no. if it's important, you text or you leave a voicemail. Right. I need some sort of clue as to what is this about. I also don't answer any numbers that I don't recognize. That's just I'm like, 50-50. Oh, really? If it's like an if it's 
a number that is really similar to my number, then you know it's a scam. Oh, yeah, totally. I've been getting those calls from like 347 numbers, and I'm like, this is fake. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's that's my issue with – or that's our issue between my mom and I right now is the no voicemail. <laughs> Jake Hurst wants to know favorite seltzer. I'm drinking Schweppes right now as we're taping this, which is the yeah. only that is because it's what they have here in the office. As we're drinking this, I'm uh, – or as we're taping this, I'm drinking Stop and Shop. Strawberry and blueberry, <laughs> just a little over the counter. Um, so I don't know if you saw Feigen, Mark Feigen, old Columbia teammate, um, posted a ranking on Twitter, and I would say I just about agree with him down to it. Um, but my big ones would be Stop and Shop. They have some wild, good flavors, and they're very hoppy, as I like to say. Um, spicy is another adjective that's been thrown around to describe <laughs> Um, but, uh, I think vintage and polar are your top two big brands. Um, and then I don't think LaCroix is bad. You're going with that pronunciation? I I feel like people go so many different ways with it. (laughs) LaCroix. Um, I don't think, I don't think LaCroix is bad. Don't get me wrong. It's much better than flat water. But I also don't think – like it's like an introductory seltzer. Like if you're new to seltzer and you don't know where to start, it's a good pathway into the realm. And then what's trash? What's your the worst seltzer you've had? Uh, just water. <laughs> it's like no bubbles. <laughs> uh, I don't love Soda Stream. Really? Hot take. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> you answered Hunter Jarrett's question. You said, is uh, LaCroix worth it or should I go with the store brand? And you said, well, it just depends here, right? Depends on store It brand. does depend. But Stop and Shop is three for eight, three 12 packs. So 36 for eight. So what's that break down to? We're, we're less than a quarter of Celts. Yeah. <laughs> That's a deal. <laughs> That's a steal. <laughs> That's a steal. Sometimes it, people are paying like five bucks for twelve. Yeah. For how do you feel about Hal's? What's that? Hal's in New York. Hal's yeah, Hal's is good. It, that's probably my favorite bottle. Okay. Because you have this thing against glass glass bottles <laughs> after you're in no, drink, right? No, no. It's, <laughs> um, I mean like uh, a traditional plastic bottle this is generally how I've drank my Hal's before, but I prefer canned seltzer. Uh, the seltzer thing is so interesting. Can we continue to talk yeah. about this? Because yeah. I, we're living in this microcosm with which I don't realize if, is seltzer just a trendy thing amongst me and my friends from New York? Because seltzer is definitely like a New York thing originally, like a Northeast thing. I agree. Right? Yeah. And yeah, totally. then it's really popular amongst runners because it's obviously an alternative to soda. Mm-hmm. And so I, I have this like skewed idea that everyone in the world drinks so much seltzer because all of my, everyone is a Northeastern runner that I basically associated with. And I just don't know if the rest of the world has caught on yet or is it? No, I think think it's growing at least because uh, I visited a friend of mine who is still in college and they had a fridge. It was in Milwaukee and they had a fridge full of, 
uh, LaCroix, and I was like, and they weren't. So they're in, they're they're being they're being they're, introduced slowly. They're starting with LaCroix. They'll get up to polar. Absolutely. And Jacob Latonis wants to know how many seltzers per day. The nearest thousand, please. If I'm if I'm home, the whole day, like if I just wake up and I run from the house or something, and I'm spending the day, I might have I drink. Honestly, I might I won't have a glass of water. Like I'll have eight seltzers. That day. <laughs> yeah, no. And then I'll 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 do the very rare night celts. I do those too. It's I don't want to snack. Yeah. I don't want to like snack, so I'll just fill up on salt. <laughs> or it's just like it's three AM, you wake up, you go to the bathroom and you just take another sip. Oh, a three AM one. See, I haven't heard of that one. You just take a little sip. <laughs> <laughs> Helps me sleep. This is the most seltzer's been discussed on a podcast in a while. Yeah. Um European team manager. That's a really interesting in- Instagram handle. Uh, wants to know, are we ever going to get a real main two? And I think we've discussed this, I think, just you and me before. And it's, it'd be such a weird one at this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's no way it would ever be the same cast. No. Oh, so that's how you would envision it? You wouldn't envision like a where are they now type thing? I guess you could do that. But I don't – I mean it was a cool – movie and everything and i think you know it but like it wasn't I, I don't know if there's the audience for the where they now at this point but i think right. the thing that i would probably want to see more is um a new group of college kids do it like five oh. or six kids from who aren't teammates just five or six a random collection who go and do it and i don't know if Finnegan is going to give that permission but <laughs> It'd be maybe, it'd be maybe cool if Fanningen went and uh, filmed five or six new kids. Like, what if we selected five or six kids? We start a GoFundMe. Sidious starts a GoFundMe, and we're gonna fund five different kids to go to the real Maine. They don't or to Maine. They don't even know each other, and we just have five kids go train there for their summer. It's a yeah, this sounds it's more like, like reality. It's legitimately a reality show. I think I just. I'm going to pitch it as soon as we get off this. I actually just made the call to edit out the rest of Kyle's answer to that question because we did get the wheels going with this idea and it went in a bunch of different directions. And so now we want to keep those ideas and plans under wraps for a little bit. Maybe we'll have something happen pretty soon. A lot of brainstorming is going to happen pretty soon. So stay tuned. So actually here's a question I've had for a while. I guess like how much would you credit that movie into bolstering some of your popularity because like, I mean, like if we're real here off of the real men, uh, like, I guess you, you did get garner some sort of following from that film. You've gotten a, a following from your die stat days on the boards. You Twitter has taken it to another level. Like, I guess like how much would you credit that film? Um, I mean the film itself. So one, obviously it's a weird idea for me to even discuss this but going under if we're gonna assume that i have a following as you've proposed i think it would just be not necessarily because of the film but just i think the fact that i've always been really open about everything that is going on with me in my running and i really enjoy doing the things outside of just running some people are like the Quint Cassidy type and they just want to stay in the woods and train hard and come out and race. But 
I find that boring after a while. And so I'm always trying to do other things. I'm always trying to write articles or blogs or do videos or podcasts or any creative way that I can come up with to just not only keep myself busy, but also hopefully, um, you know, connect with fans. And obviously social media becomes a huge aspect of that. Derek Minkus asks, how badly do you miss the old guy set? You just go right into the next question. You don't even respond. Because <laughs> there's so many of them. I just got to keep this moving. <laughs> okay, keep it going. So Derek Minkus asks, how badly do you miss the old dice stat boards? Um, I, I mean, it's not like I actively am every day thinking about how much I miss them. But now that I reflect on it, I just, I wish that there was something similar for high school kids today. Um social media obviously has kind of moved in to its place in many ways and there's way more information out there but i don't think there's going to be the same type of community um i think maybe there's an opportunity for sidious to just create a form i think it could be so easily done um that isn't private or um anonymous. you know like yeah anonymous uh like let's run is great like i'm a big fan of let's run but in terms of creating community, obviously anonymous bashing isn't going to necessarily make it happen. Yeah. Whereas, but then again, even anonymous help for one another doesn't necessarily create a community because you don't know who's helping. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the subreddit advanced running. That's a great place. Is a very, very similar close thing to what Dystat was, but, um, yeah, I think I, I would encourage Sidious to start it up and you'd have to verify everyone and create an avatar. So yeah, they're easily identifiable. And um, I would say you got to start small. Yeah. You can't just have like, you can't open up with like 20 different sub forums. <laughs> you need to uh, start, try not to be too ambitious at the beginning and let it grow a bit organically. Yeah. Because uh, that's what happened with Dystat, I think. Yeah. So. You make it sound like we've got a lot of people behind this operation here, and it's it's not that many people. So we're going to have to find, if you are listening to this and you've got uh, some sort of idea on how to make boards or... I think it's pretty easy. I think you just like pay 10 bucks a month, and there you go. You got the server. All right. Well, if you're listening to this and you can help us out with that, email me, chris at sidiousmag.com. Uh all right, let's see. We've got, my laptop's going to die, so I've got to wrap this up kind of soon. Uh, we'll run through these real quick, I guess. Timmy Two Shoes wants to know, best or favorite book you've read this year? Best favorite book that I read this year? Um, what did I read this year? You, um, you, Ulysses' book? You read Hamilton, right? Was that this year? No, that's old. Um what did I, I, I want to get this correct. Um, I just read Americana. I'll throw that out there. I just read Americana and I thought it was incredibly good. I thought it was, um, as a, a white guy, I thought it was really eye opening to a new perspective. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily like a page turner, but it's a book that I was, I'm super glad that I read and, you don't have to be white to have my recommendation, but if you are a white guy or girl, 
but it, it's a, about a, a black girl from Nigeria coming to the U.S. and basically like her take on race relations. And but if you're a white guy, you it you should have to read it. Yeah, someone tweeted at us that we should probably like Sidious could start a book club, but I don't know if we read a whole lot to like in my free time. I'm trying to like I've got Tanahisi Coates' new book uh, out, and I'm reading that. Uh, but as far as that, we need to find someone to lead a book club. That might be you. We might call on you to do that. Yeah. I mean, I don't really read running books though. I don't know if a city is. I think, I think that's the way we have to get these people not to always think about running. Uh, yeah. Fair. Justin Britton. What's your favorite pizza place? Giuseppe's. We are where we're the Long Island mile has a pizza sponsor. <laughs> Giuseppe's in Huntington. Great. So, great. You need to get Dave Portnoy out there to give it a, a rating. I'd be nervous, but <laughs> just like, what if he gets one bad slice? Oof. Yeah, I know. There's, there's some... so it's a lot of pressure on one. And he only takes one bite. Yeah, one bite. Everybody knows the rules. Um, Moran, Simon, which Disney princess do you find the most attractive? Are any of them 18? <laughs> Whichever one's 18, that's my answer. All right, that's a good answer. Um... Let's see. Okay, uh, we'll end with these two, and then we'll hit, I'll hit you with my last two questions. Um, Cody Cat twenty four, who wins in a flat, flat out two hundred meter race? You, Colby, or Johnny? Um, I think all of us would probably, ah, you know, in a four hundred, I would say we would all pick ourselves. But in a flat out two hundred, I probably wouldn't take me. Um, <laughs> and then is I, it up there is who is it a toss up between Colby and Johnny then? It really is. They're um, they're both quick as hell. Johnny can always turn over, and then Colby is just yeah. I don't know. That'd be a real toss up. Can we get a periscope I, I, of this one day? Is that what? Can we get a periscope of this one day? Yeah, it should happen. <laughs> um, if I had to pick, I think I would take. Johnny, maybe I don't know. Colby's fast. It's not me. Definitely not me though for two hundred. And then Halo Czar wants to know what is your one hundred meter PR? Um, I think I ran like eleven one running start at altitude. <laughs> so it's like a twelve six. That's um, yeah, I I I'd have to check that though. Have to go back to the files. <laughs> And then the last three questions that I do with all my guests. So the first one, what's the meanest thing you've read about yourself on Let's Run? And you did that video with them a couple a while back. Yeah. I, think, I don't think any of those were as mean as people can get on there. Um, I don't know. Um, did it obviously, have to or anything? I laugh at, I really like just growing up on Die Stat. I'm pretty hard into anything. And again, like I'm way harder on myself than anyone else is going to be. Um, There's got to be one thing that stands out to you. <laughs> I mean, I think the funniest thing is when someone called me a praying mantis. <laughs> okay, that's like, I think that is because I, I know my, you know, I got eyes. <laughs> I got big brown eyes. So I enjoy that. That's great. It, yeah. If you need something. 
Uh, and then the last two I've got, one's running related, the other one is not. If you could run anywhere in the world with anyone from history, assuming that they can hold a conversational pace with you, where would this run take place and who would it be with? Oh, um, I, we did a video for Hoka called The Beautiful Mile and myself and Torrance actually both gave the same exact answer for this and we did it separately. Um, we both said, what is his name again? I'm like going to Google it really quick. Um, we both said that if we could do this, this exact question is that we would run with the guy, uh, Philippides, Philippides, uh, oh, yeah. the first marathon. Yep. And he died. Yeah. I'm sorry. I mind blanked there. Um, but we both said that independently and I said it thinking it was so clever. <laughs> I was like, Oh, I got this. And then they're like, David already said that. I was like, God damn it. <laughs> Where would the run be? I mean, obviously, um, in Greece, right? <laughs> It'd be, we'd go to Athens or Marathon. It started in Athens, finishes in Marathon. Yeah. Oh, so you would do that run with him? Not, yeah. You wouldn't bring him out to like Long Island or like there's just like kick his ass in a mile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I would do that run with him back in the day. That's a good one. Uh, and then the last one, you get 25 shots. I'm not taking it. No. <laughs> just ask the question for anyone who doesn't. Yeah. So for the li listeners who are listening to Justice episode for the first time or the show for the first time, you get 25 shots from half court. You, uh, if you make one, you win $25 million. If you make none, you go to jail for 25 years. A lot of people have said no. We have some risk takers like Molly Huddle, Nick Simmons, who have said yes. But Kyle is one of the smarter runners and says no. Yeah. My reason being is my life's pretty good. And I really like, I feel like every day I wake up and I just say, don't mess it up. Yeah. Like, don't screw things up. Things are smooth sailing right now. Life's good. It's not play games. So what's your prediction on the Knicks? And I guess, like, yeah, there's, there's that's one tie to basketball that you have that's not. Oh, and I'm obviously terrible at basketball. But uh, KP's got to stay healthy. I think they're going to be a 500 team, and they're going to steal the eighth seed and be knocked out in yeah. five games. Oh, this is something I was going to sneak in there somewhere. Why is – that teddy bear, your Twitter profile picture. Um, one year we went to Texas, like a bunch of Columbia guys just for training. And we went to Goodwill and we found a gigantic teddy bear for like 10 bucks. It was like five foot six, the teddy bear. And we ripped open all the stuffing and thought it'd be funny to get in and like <laughs> dress up and clothes. And so I threw a Nick's jersey on it. And we just like rode a moped around town with a teddy bear on the back, but like someone dressed up as it. And uh, we took a picture. I started Twitter shortly thereafter. It's on my phone, and now I can't change it. So, no matter what, no matter like what really cool photo. I mean, you the world record DMR. Nothing would change that. What about you? Get to the Olympics. Do you know anything about branding, Chris? It's like <laughs> it's, you can't. Is Hoka just going to change their logo? <laughs> No. All right. Fair enough. All right. I hope they don't change the logo now that I said this. 
All right. So uh, that does it for this episode of the Seuss Mag Podcast. Kyle, thanks a lot for joining us. You got so many questions. We left a bunch of them out. So we might have to do this again at some point. So uh, thanks a lot for taking the time. Maybe next time we do it in person. We actually, one of us is not lazy. Yeah. <laughs> we'll make the track. training. <laughs> that interview was brought to you by Morton. A reminder, you get 20% off your order if you use promo code CMP20 when you visit Morton.com. That's M-A-U-R-T-E-N.com slash shop. Check out those drink mixes that have been working for the top runners around the world. So thanks a lot to Kyle Merber for taking the time to do that interview. We honestly probably could have gone for two hours plus had it not been for my laptop dying. And also, that would be a very long podcast. But we've sat through an entire Yankee game before and talked a bunch of things not running. So we might have to have him back on the show. Uh, but that does it for this week's episode. I'll be on the lookout for another guest. Thanks a lot for bearing with me. I was sick last week and was unable to post another episode. But uh, let me know who you want on the show, and I'll try my best to get it. A reminder to subscribe on iTunes, leave a five-star review. Uh, we are now also on Google Play. So for the listeners, I guess, who are on Android phones, it's taken a while, but we're finally on Google Play. So check that out as well. Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get podcasts, you'll be able to listen to this annoying voice. My apologies. Uh, but yeah, that's it for me. I've been your host, Chris Chavez, wishing you some happy and healthy running.